back to the podcast as we are pursuing the book Prayer Power, Changing the World and You with Stuart Robinson. And I trust as we go through this series, you'll be deeply encouraged to pray. Uh, we're actually recording this on the 18th of December. And um, uh, on this day, uh, numbers of years ago, Charles Wesley was born. It's Charles Wesley's uh, birthday, and he was born in this day of 1707. But what was remarkable about Charles Wesley was that, along with his brother, they were both led to Christ through a personal encounter, through the Moravian movement. Charles Wesley uh, was a, uh, he was he was led uh, in a meeting listening to a Moravian preacher, Peter Bowler, who read Psalm 35 and exclaimed, Had I a thousand tongues, I would praise him with all. And this is a moment that Charles Wesley said he came to a living faith in Jesus. And he was to write, write in his, one of his greatest hymns, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King the triumphs of his grace. The movement that happened through the Wesleys and Methodism saved the Western world from the, the likes of the French Revolution. And, and we see that it was uh, the time of great, great uh, explosion, one of our great revivals in the West. It's really interesting to note that the Moravians who catalyzed both the Wesley brothers, Charles and John, was birthed by a hundred-year prayer chain and prayer. This prayer chain that began in the 1600s and, and carried right through for over a hundred years, not only catalyzed missions around the world, but catalyzed uh, the Wesleys brothers um, and uh, others like Whitfield, etc., to, to see a great movement. Stuart... Um, You've, you've talked to us a lot in this book of stories such as these um, uh, in, in your book. Tell us a bit more about the, the title and tell us a bit more about um, the need for prayer in this day and this hour. Well, um, nothing happens without prayer. Um, we can work but unless we're working with God, then it's just us working. When we pray, God works. And uh, that's, the history of that is so clear. Um, when you read uh, the opening chapter of this book, where I recount there are a lot of the history of revivals, and I'm talking about international revivals where the church grew and denominations doubled and tripled and quadrupled. I mean, that's a real uh, revival. It's, it's not what we think of in these days, but uh, that sort of event. And always those revivals were preceded by, usually it was a small group of people mm. desperate for God's intervention. Mm. The church was either dying or it was just trotting along, making as if it was church. It, it looked pretty ordinary on the outside. Uh, sometimes the church was almost down and out. I mean, there was a, a time in English history when Christians, if they went out on the streets, they'd be pelted with stones and rotten fruit if they went out there talking about Jesus. That's how bad it was. 
But um, as groups of people got together to pray, God honoured that. Now, of course, you can never tell just when he will respond. But uh, I recall one of those big international revivals where there was uh, a man who, who led a prayer, a, what was called a concert of prayer, for 40 years. He wrote, he didn't have a fountain pen, he didn't have a ballpoint pen, he didn't have a computer, he just had a feather, which is what they used in pens in those days. But he kept all of these groups of people, he was encouraging them to pray, to pray, to pray. And after only 40 years of his superintending that work, suddenly the Holy Spirit fell in a, in a out-of-the-way place. That's another thing, when God comes... He usually starts a work in some far off place that the world doesn't give much importance to. And in this case, uh, the spirit fell uh, in a remote church down in Western England in Cornwall, I think it was, on a Christmas Eve. The spirit just turned up and the people knew it. And so they started, uh, the revival started there and spread throughout the country. I've been there. The sad thing, of course, is that the uh, the people of that area don't know their own history. And uh, we saw the big empty buildings, which used to be crowded with people, no longer. So it's in need of revival again. But that's, that's a little groups of people pray. And uh, for a particular period of time, then the Spirit comes, usually starting uh, in a far off place. I used to warn the people of Crossway because we became large and uh, well-known. I'd say, look, the history is very clear that God's Spirit, when he comes to revive an entire nation, seldom does he come to the big watering holes. He goes to the little outback place where there's just a group of faithful people praying and praying. And it hits a spark and the fire spreads from there and hits the nation and then bounces into other nations. Uh, and that's a, a common characteristic. So that's some of the background of uh, what happens. Let's just dive in a, a little bit personally. What What's some of the most profound and impactful uh, things that you've seen personally with prayer that have really stayed with you? Well, there are two things. Uh, one was uh, happened in 1974 when Margaret and I were at the end of our tether uh, we'd lived through a war in the country where we were. We'd seen three million people were killed, 10 million in refugee camps. And we were there at that stage helping to rebuild the country. And so for three years, I traveled constantly, keeping people alive through food for work programs and so forth. And at the end of that time, I said to Margaret, if this is what being a missionary is about, we may as well go home. I'm exhausted. I never even have time to talk to anyone about Jesus. But then we learned of a little, a little meeting which was going on in the capital city. And we went to that meeting. And for a whole week, we did nothing much other than to worship God. This was a new experience. And, uh, and at the end of that week, the Holy Spirit fell upon Margaret and I. We were prostrate on the floor. And uh, God met us in a completely new way. People, of course, try to describe these experiences. They use various word forms like being filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit or drenched in the Spirit. Use whatever term you like. But um, what I learned from that is you have to wait upon God. 
and focus upon him. And he does show up and uh, makes everything new in terms of outside of ourselves. And that did re-equip us. I remember being uh, in China. Mm. And of course, China is the country in which the church is growing tremendously. The world is fascinated by its uh, economic and military power. And it's on the way to taking over from America to be the world's number one superpower. But while uh, the, everyone's looking at that, God has been incredibly at work there. Uh, in 19, uh, it was 1953 where the Communist Party did their first census and they found that there were 600,000 believers in the country. After, that was after a significant period of missionary activity. And then the bamboo curtain came down and we all thought, well, that's the end of the church. It wasn't until decades later where that bamboo curtain was lifted. And it was in 2008 in Beijing University where a member of the Department of Religious Affairs was speaking there and he said, look, we really don't know how many Christians there are in China. The government thinks there's about... Uh, the figure I think was um, 120 million or something like that, or 130 million, incredible figure that uh, this huge growth that had taken place. And now the trend continues in China, whereby other demographers are saying that if this trend continues, then it'll be 240 million by the year 2030. Uh, there are only 90 million people in the, uh, 95 million in the Communist Party. But that, that number of believers, how did that happen, was uh, quite a story which we're getting to grips with some of it now. But the most outstanding characteristic is whenever I've been with the Chinese in China is the way they pray and the way they study the word. And uh, maybe in our next little session, I'll tell you the specifics of what they do and how they did it. Mm. Thank you, Stuart. I um, wonder if you could just finish us off today as we're thinking of uh, prayer, the importance of prayer, and how can we, how can we uh, adopt this uh, personally? Um, what would you say to the listener? Prayer doesn't come automatically or easily. We are still natural creatures, and prayer is a supernatural activity. So it really needs to start in the early days with the habit of discipline by rising early in the morning and with intention, opening your Bible, reading the scriptures and praying over what you're reading and other things which the Lord brings to mind. I say early in the morning because that's precisely what Jesus did. The Bible says he'd get up early in the morning and go out to pray. To, that really starts the night before. I've never known God do anything much in people's lives after 10 o'clock at night, so you should go to bed early enough uh, to get up early in the morning and start there the day in meeting with the Word of God and the, the Lord of the Word Himself. <laughs> 